Hey guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Zach. I'm Jackie, and we are very excited to have Dr. Spencer Wells joining us here today. Great to be here. Um, Dr. Wells is a population geneticist, an explorer in residence for National Geographic. He directs the Genographic Project, which tells a story and tracks the movement of humans since their origin. His other titles include adjunct professor at UT Austin, author, and entrepreneur. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Wells. Great to be here. Um, I'm no longer with National Geographic. I left okay. in 2015, wrapped up the project then. Okay. But uh, yeah, I did run the Genographic Project for over a decade. Great, yeah. Um, so right now for us as college students, um, we're all scrambling for um, summer opportunities. And it seems like we're making a choice between, um, on the one hand, we want to travel the world. We want to do an internship in South Africa. We want to um, backpack around Europe or East Asia. Um, but on the other hand, we kind of want a more maybe stable or traditional position, maybe like an internship in D.C. or New York or a research position at our home university. Um, but when you were at National Geographic and when you were traveling and still doing um, your research, it seemed like you had the best of both worlds. <laughs> um, can you tell us more about what that was like and more about how you came to that position? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've always been fascinated by other cultures and have always been extremely interested in travel, have always enjoyed it, and knew that I wanted a career that would allow me to travel. Um, but on the other hand, obviously, the same things that you just mentioned, you want to have some stability, you want to be working towards something, toward the future, etc. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to create this opportunity with National Geographic where mm -hmm. You know, over the last 20 years um, since I finished my PhD and moved into my postdoc and became an independent researcher, I've been focused on using DNA to study how humans all over the world are related to each other. Mm -hmm. And that involves a lot of travel because you get to meet a lot of people and hopefully convince them to give you a DNA sample. Yeah. And, you know, they go into the database. What so. is that like? Like you uh, walk up to them and stick out a cotton swab? Like. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, at its most basic level, that's what it is. But it takes a lot of legwork. You have to make contacts, local contacts. You mm -hmm. obviously need translators. You need permissions, government permissions. But in essence, yeah, I mean, it's, it's not very invasive at all. It's a little cotton swab or you ask somebody to spit into a tube. And that material has DNA in it from that person. And you take it back to the lab and clean up the DNA. And then you look at what we call genetic markers. And these are tiny little differences that distinguish people yeah. um, that originated as mutations in some of your ancestors. And those mutations or markers um, tell you how you're related to other people. Yeah. So um, if you could expand more, you said that you wanted to travel, you wanted to meet different people. Um, can you expand? Did you um, try to pick a career that connected with your desire to travel? Or were you interested in genetics and then you thought that you could incorporate some sort of um, way of traveling into that? Like, How did that come about? I was always interested in genetics. I was interested in ancient history. Um, actually wanted to be an archaeologist initially. Mm -hmm. um, but I like large quantities of data. I like getting results faster than archaeologists right. typically tend to get the results. Yeah. And so, you know, ended up studying a field called population genetics. And so we basically study how DNA sequences evolve and, again, how people are related to each other. Um, so it was driven by just an interest in that in trying to use genetics as a tool to study ancient human history. Mm -hmm. And as I said, you know, that inherently involves going out and working with people all over the world. If you're doing a global survey of genetic variation, 
uh, you need to go out and see the globe. And so, you know, luckily, again, I was someone who was very interested in travel. So that was awesome for me. Some people don't like being on planes all the time yeah. or being in Land Rovers bouncing across the Mongolian steppe mm -hmm. um, or whatever it might be. But I, I really love it. So, yeah, I've been very lucky to be able to combine the two. Um, so you mentioned your first area of scientific uh, interest and human interest was in archaeology, you know, studying um, our origins. Um, now, do you find that archaeologists have some kind of contention with your work? Or are there any subcategories of um, or any scientific researchers that, you know, maybe fight you a little bit on some things? And what are those misconceptions like? Yeah, I mean, certainly the, you know, any opposition or disagreements won't be coming from the archaeologists these days. Early on in the field of what we call anthropological genetics or human population genetics, I think there was some concern about geneticists coming in, not really necessarily understanding the, the literature in the archaeological, you know, community um, and running roughshod over a lot of, you know, concepts without really understanding them. But, you know, now we work together very closely. And in fact, you can get DNA material out of archaeological remains. So out of, you know, bones and teeth and so on from an archaeological dig. So it's complementary to traditional archaeology. Where we might encounter some opposition is more from cultural anthropologists mm -hmm. who are still very concerned for reasons that I don't completely understand. Um, about studying people at the genetic level and looking at genetic differences. Mm -hmm. um, like an ethical or moral complaint? Or? I, I suppose that's probably what it stems from. It's, it's fear of how genetics might be misused, the whole notion of eugenics and you know, how it was used by the, the Nazis in World War II and so on. Um, obviously, that's not what we're trying to do. We're not trying to categorize people into races and talk about who's better or who's worse. But I, I think there's still, you know, in some quarters of academia, still a concern about that. Hmm. Yeah. So um, you said another uh, uh, motivation for going into your work was that you wanted to meet a lot of different people. And presumably you have. Um, you said you've been to 120 different countries. Something like that. I yeah. stopped counting when I hit 100. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's a lot of places. Um, what have you have you learned anything, um, or had any big takeaways from meeting? Oh, so absolutely many nothing. I've nothing. learned nothing from. No, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no I, I mean, it, it, yeah, it really depends on on what you want to know. I mean, you notice that people are very similar in lots of ways, mm -hmm. but also different in fascinating ways. You know, so the languages spoken around the world six thousand different languages. How did those languages arise, and you know how were language families spread? You know, and, and why do the languages spoken in Easter Island by the original inhabitants resemble the languages spoken by the Taiwanese aborigines? Mm. You know, and that suggests a migratory route. Mm. Um, those are the sorts of things that, that certainly strike you. Um, food. Love the food. I, um, I'm a big foodie. So part of the excitement of travel for me is always trying new cuisines. And it's a very social thing um, in most cultures. You know? yeah. So none of this sitting at your desk and eating while you're staring at a computer <laughs> screen the way we do too often here yeah, in the U.S. Yeah, happens too much. <laughs> um, you're sitting around a table and you're laughing and getting to know people. It's, um, it's really fun. Yeah, so I um, wanted to ask about how your work, how meeting people transitions into then like examining their DNA, which as we talked about is maybe a little less personal. Um, I guess, does that add anything different to your experiences with people? Um, you know, having sort of that two level, two levels of looking at someone? 
Yeah, I mean, I find that when I meet someone, I'm always trying to guess at their ancestry, where their ancestors might have come from. Mm. Um, you know, I think that's just part of being in this business and having met a lot of people from around the world and recognizing certain facial features, which are correlated somewhat with genetic patterns that we study. Um, but it's really trying to explain the patterns of diversity we see around the world. You know, we're so diverse as a species, different skin colors and hair types and eye colors and the shapes of our noses and all these things. How did those differences arise and how do they connect us mm -hmm. in some way? So on that note, have you found when you interact with people and you're getting their swabs or, you know, you're talking to people, are they just as curious to find out? I would assume yes, but are there some people that kind of have reservation or that maybe isn't a priority of theirs? There are some people that, that do have reservations, but by and large, people are fascinated by mm -hmm. this whole concept. The idea that, you know, typically we're working with so-called indigenous people, people who live in often a relatively small, isolated group. They're somewhat different. Um, you know, they consider themselves to be culturally different from the, the dominant culture in the place where they live. And they give us an insight into the ancient genetic patterns in that part of the world. Um, you know, they often have a, an intense um, feeling of belonging to that culture and mm. to their ancestors and can often name their ancestors going back five or even ten generations. Wow. And you tell them that's really cool. And, you know, we can see back beyond the people that you can name because you've inherited material from all of these people in your lineage, all of your ancestors going back 10, 20, 100, 1,000 generations. And the light bulb goes off and they're like, wow, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, do you like look into your uh, your own ancestry? I have Presumably. looked at my own ancestry. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not terribly exciting. Okay. Um, you know, I've got blonde hair and green eyes, and yeah, you know, it's mostly Northern European, so Danish and Dutch and English, a little bit of French. Um, nothing terribly surprising. I was mm -hmm. hoping for something really unusual <laughs> or yeah, um, something unexpected. Um, talking more about specific. Uh, genetics that you've looked at of a person, is there any that comes to mind when you looked at this person's uh, genetic history and you're like, wow, this is going to change my work in this way, or now we know this? Like any well, illuminating moments like that? Yeah, I mean, they, we have our scientific discoveries, obviously. You know, when we started to see the pattern of Y chromosome diversity in Central and East Asia that turned out to be the remnants of Genghis Khan, hmm. his genetic hmm. impact on the region. So 10% of the population of that part of the world descend from Genghis Khan himself. One in every 200 men walking around on Earth today wow. is a direct wow. male descendant of Genghis. <laughs> but what's even more interesting is, is to talk to people about their personal genetic results. And, you know, we live in such an interesting mixed society today that often people have no concept of who their ancestors were and where they came from. Um, I remember we, we tested a guy who was originally from Colombia a few years ago. He was an orphan and he was adopted by a Dutch family living in New York. And he'd wow. grown up in New York with a Dutch name. And he knew essentially nothing about his background apart from um, from Colombia. And so we tested him and he had ancestry from, you know, obviously Native Americans in South America, but also European ancestry from several places, so Spain and Italy. He had a Y chromosome, the piece of DNA that makes men men. So told him about his father's 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 father that was in all likelihood from an Ashkenazi Jewish person. Mm. Um, he had sub-Saharan African ancestry, so just a complete wow. mix. Yeah. And when he got these results, he literally started crying. He's like, wow, now I know why I feel connected to these different groups. It really mm -hmm. gives me a sense of belonging. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, 
So one thing we always talk about on the show is a, the concept of inflection points, um, times when you were growing up or in your career or even now where you've had to make a big change in your life or you realize something that you, maybe you didn't beforehand. Um, can you think of any of those moments in your life or <laughs> can you talk about those? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think you have to change your life rather radically on a regular basis to keep things fresh and exciting. Okay. So um, I graduated from high school at age 16 wow. and from college at age 19 and was following a very focused academic path, Harvard PhD, postdoc at Stanford, research head of a research group at, at Oxford, and then got sidetracked by happenstance um, into becoming a filmmaker and a writer. Mm, and wow. I've written three books and I've made you know half a dozen uh, documentary films, two of which have been nominated for Emmys. Um, so that's how I got in touch with the people at National Geographic. Originally, it was through a documentary film. We mm -hmm. created this big research project, so I kind of came back into it. But one of the things that happened during that project is that we created this new industry called consumer genomics. So if you have ever tested yourself with one of these kits, 23andMe, Genographic, you know, swab the inside of your cheek and you can get your genetic results, we created that. Wow. And so, you know, that's what I'm doing now. So after I left National Geographic, um, I founded two companies in the last year um, focused on consumer genomics. One is basically 23andMe for dogs. Mm -hmm. It's called Embark. So wow, if you've ever nice. wondered about, you know, what dog breeds are in your mixed breed dog or genetic diseases it might be predisposed to, you can now find out. Oh my gosh. The world really <laughs> needed that. Sorry. That was like, yes, <laughs> that is what we need. That's awesome. And then my latest company, a company called Insightome, is um, basically we're involved in trying to build what will become the app store for consumer genomics. Okay. The idea is that very soon everybody's going to have their DNA sequenced and it's going to live up in a vault in the cloud. But we don't know everything about what all that material means yet. As we make discoveries, you're going to want to find out. So in the future, you can download an app to tell you about all these new things that we're discovering. So we're building wow. those apps. Wow, that's pretty, uh, that's pretty exciting. It's fun. Yeah. It keeps me busy. Um, did you find that – like you went from academia to filmmaking to entrepreneurship. Did you find those like really difficult? Because it seems like a lot of people would just specialize in academia or just specialize in filmmaking. And on that point, do you think that there was a common thread that led you to all those points or all those different careers? It, there, there is a common thread. I mean I'm still using genetics in, in all of these areas. But um, – you know, it's it's utilizing different parts of my brain in a way. Hmm. Um, so it's keeping it fresh. I mean, I I really admire people who can pursue an academic research path for, you know, decades and focus on very specific things. I'm just not made like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm interested in learning new things all the time, meeting new people. And so, um, no, I mean, I've always enjoyed having to, to learn new skills as a part of doing my job. Sure. And, if you're always learning new things and you're having fun and you're working with really cool people, it's like you're not even working at all. I mean, you'd be doing yeah. this as a hobby. And the fact that you get paid for it is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I guess that transitions really well into our last question. Right. So um, our last question is, um, what is your personal definition of success? And what advice would you give to students um, to find success for themselves? Hmm. Okay, that's a good question. It's it's not an easy one to answer. Um, not at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all have external 
you know, expectations from our parents, from our peers, from our bosses um, about, you know, things you're supposed to do, things you're supposed to have achieved by a certain age. Um, to me, it's more of a philosophical thing. It's, it's this whole notion of self-actualization. Are you really doing things that make you happy as a human being? Are you doing something that has an effect on the world? So it's important enough that other people notice it and it will, you know, leave a trace when you're gone, so to speak. Um, you know, obviously we need a certain level of material success in order to have a decent place to live and so on. But that shouldn't be the only thing that drives you. It should really, to me, be about, you know, trying to create a positive change in the world and being happy with yourself in the career you've chosen. Great. Well, um, unfortunately, that's all the time we have. Um, to all the listeners out there, remember to stay hungry. <laughs>